0: Join us on this adventure as we learn from others together. Welcome to Learn From Others, where we help others succeed by sharing success. I'm very excited to introduce our special guest, Terry Chase. Well, Terry, thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Well, before we find out what you're actually doing today, let's start at the very beginning. And would you please tell us, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: I wanted to be a writer when I grew up.
0: Wow, at a very early age. what? (laughs) You might be a writer today, possibly?
1: Well, yes, I have an explanation for that. Okay, uh, I think that as with musicians or artists, either you is or you ain't, you are or you aren't.
0: That's a great quote from a writer. Some uh, yeah. grammatical issues. I love that. <laughs> I did correct myself a little bit. Yes. Yeah. What was your first inkling of wanting to be a writer at such a young age?
1: Well, I grew up in a house of books, and I was a bookworm. My parents read. And so I read, and I even snuck books off their shelves, and I was always at the library. And teachers recognized that I was an avid reader and, you know, guided me sometimes to things that they thought I might like. And uh, that's the number one advice, actually, I would give anybody if they want to be a writer is read.
0: Yeah, yeah, I read voraciously as a little kid. I loved it. So what was the first quote-unquote book you wrote, or did you write like a five-page on— You know, your notebook paper that you felt like was a book when you were like six years old or something?
2: Oh,
1: probably. I wrote, you know, um, poems and stories and essays and stuff all all my childhood. But I think that the most uh, important thing that I wrote growing up was my journal. Uh, If you keep a diary or a journal, I guess it was called a diary back in the day. And you could even get little ones with locks that your brothers and
0: sisters could still get into. (laughs) Right. I remember those. (laughs) You
1: know, but any notebook at all will do for a diary or a journal. And in there, you get to write your own thoughts uncensored and unedited. And that teaches you to express yourself in words.
0: Now, did you have any siblings that tried to swipe your diary and read it?
1: Of course. Of course. Everybody's got to have at least one annoying brother. Well,
0: I was that annoying brother to my two sisters, so you are correct. Right.
1: <laughs> practice of writing is really important. You know, it's like being an athlete. You know, you can have the talent, but you need to practice it if you want to be good.
0: Right, right. Practice, practice, practice. Correct. Mm-hmm. Well, what and this is might be a layup here, but what was one of your favorite subjects or hobbies while in school?
1: Okay, this this will segue into the whole story of how I ended up where I am. But I was a real nature loving kid. I. Love to go outside and look at, especially plants, but also animals. I was a kid who'd wade in the creek and catch tadpoles in jars <laughs> or fireflies on a summer night. I'd pick home, I'd bring home, I'd pick armloads of plants that I saw and bring them home and then try to find out what they were, try to identify them. My family would roll their eyes and say, oh, here comes Terry with a pile of weeds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, did you have a favorite bug when you were a little kid that you always favorite seeked out? bug? Oh, like yeah, like a firefly or a praying mantis.
1: Oh, no, absolutely, fireflies. Fireflies are remarkable. But the point I'm trying to make about the young Terry was that I was very interested in nature, and I would want to know the names of things, just like when you walk into a room and you meet people, you want to be introduced. And so I did a lot of self-educating. I never spending my babysitting money on buying a book about the names of the wildflowers and plants so I could match them with the things I was picking when I was out walking around in the neighborhood or in the uh, nature trails near my home.
0: I cannot even imagine the dictionary of terms you have for all the different bugs and plants you've learned over the years. It must be quite extensive.
1: <laughs> it's not possible for me to walk, take a walk through nature without you know, looking around and calling them by name. And my sons grew up that way, too. I mean, they're not <laughs> botanists. They're not horticulturists. But, you know, I recall distinctly when they were small, five or six years old, one of them coming running into the house saying, Mom, help us the soccer balls in the loriope. <laughs> now, another kid was, "Wow, the oh, <laughs> soccer balls in the plants over on the side of the driveway, you know, but they knew what it was called. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's like really it. cool. <laughs> yeah, I would have been yeah. the latter one for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was your first job? When where you received a paycheck? It felt like you had some real responsibilities.
1: My first grown-up job was working at a magazine. And you might think, wow, bingo, out of college. She wanted to be in publishing, the job in a magazine. But it's not quite as wonderful as it sounds. Uh, they hired me as a receptionist. <laughs>
0: You got your foot in the door, though, right?
1: I got my foot in the door, yeah. And uh, this is how I job hunted. This is a true story, Greg. I moved to Boston with a girlfriend after I graduated from college. Boston has a lot of publishing jobs, and it's a big city, so there'll be jobs in general. And I got a job as waitressing while I looked for what I considered a real job. And I discovered that there was a magazine there called Horticulture, the magazine of American Gardening. And I thought, that's perfect for me. It's writing, and it's about plants. And so I didn't look – in those days, you looked in the newspaper for ads for jobs, right? Nowadays, I think it's probably more like LinkedIn than Craigslist and things like that. Right. But I just put on my best suit, actually, to be honest, my only business suit, and went downtown to where their offices were and went up the elevator five floors and walked in and asked for a job. I just happened to be walking through the neighborhood and thought I'd check, right? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I asked for a job, and it was a very naive thing to do. Uh, and But, you know, three or four months of this with me dropping in every week or two, one day the receptionist quit, and my colleagues told me later, they all looked at each other and said, well, somebody should call that Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, But the moral of that story is really that if there's a place where you really want to work, don't wait for them to advertise a job.
0: No, that's a great point. I mean, they knew who you you were. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, and if you, and you, why are you targeting them? Because you believe you're perfect for them and um, you just have to persuade them to agree. Right. You don't have to wait for a job opening. You know, if you really think that you're well suited to a place, then just start beating your door down in any way that you think would work. You know, whether it's showing up or calling or emailing or pinging them, you know, via social media, whatever it takes. But uh, if you think you're right for a place, you're probably right that you are. And you just have to talk them into agreeing with you,
0: right? And just the uh, the amount of time and effort and drive you have, even without the job, you know, they're thinking, well, wow, what would they actually do for us if they work for us? So, oh, no, I never
1: thought of that, but you're probably right. I wasn't looking at it from their point of view,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, it worked out great. Well, you're right. This was a great segue. So, tell us, what do you do today?
1: I'm a freelance writer,
0: and you specialize
1: in nature and plants and gardening, and I've published. To my name, over 35 titles, all of which are on Amazon and sell in bookstores nationwide. And one of them won the biggest award, the Academy Award of Mar Business. The American Horticulture Society gives out awards to books once a year. And I was judged by a jury of my peers, which is what the Academy Awards are allegedly like, right? (laughs) And uh, the book called Seeing Seeds, A Journey into the World of Seed Heads, Pods, and Fruit won the top award in
0: 2016. Well, congratulations. That had to be thrilling.
1: It was very exciting. And by that point in my life, I had more than one nice outfit in my wardrobe.
0: So I
1: picked <laughs> one out and went down to Washington, D.C. and attended the gala dinner and accepted the award.
0: Now, did you know before you got down there that you won, or was it kind of like the Oscars and you had to, like, if you didn't win, you had to act like no, a good they sport? they
1: told me I was a winner. Okay.
0: <laughs>
2: uh,
1: yes. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't tell me I'd have to make a speech, though, so I didn't have one ready. And they gave awards to uh, two or three other books that night, and the other authors went up first. So... I had time to, you know, push away my glass of wine and grab a napkin (laughs) and and decide what I was going to say when it was my turn.
0: Well, that's really great. How did you go from, you know, working as a receptionist at a magazine to accepting that award to what you're doing even today and tomorrow?
1: Okay, well, that's a big journey. (laughs) Uh, But it's my belief, and this is sort of using a natural history metaphor, that um, jobs and careers develop organically, and that's what happened to me. Uh, first of all, I just like to make a little aside. Uh, accepting the receptionist job at the gardening magazine was my foot in the door, absolutely. But it would never have happened with a guy. Wow! They don't they don't? It's sexist. They don't mm-hmm. hire boys to be receptionists. And actually, while I was working there, I'd been there for a year answering the phones, despite my avid interest and knowledge of plants and my mm-hmm. bachelor's degree in English. A young man who was had very similar credentials but was one year younger than me came in and was hired over me. Oh, my goodness. So, yes. And I I don't know. That probably still happens sometimes. But I would say to any young woman who's listening to this interview, uh, don't settle for the receptionist job. Ask for the entry-level job.
0: Right, right. Yeah, because right. you had – how long did it take you before you got promoted to that job?
1: Oh, it was about – it was over a year, Uh, you know, on the plus side, I would say that answering the phones helped me get to know how the magazine worked, Mm -hmm. you know, it was worthwhile in that way, you know, answering the phones, I knew who the authors were, I knew which editors were working with which authors, I knew who the advertisers were, I knew how often the magazine was looking for things, and and when they weren't looking for things, I knew a little bit about the advertising part of it, you know, so eh, I just... I just missed being a receptionist. But on the other hand, the receptionists kind of put me at the hub of the turning wheel.
0: Right. you got to learn a lot of different things you might not have learned otherwise. I learned a otherwise. lot of different
1: things that were useful to me once I moved up and was slotted off of the hub of the turning wheel and onto one of the spokes, if you will.
0: Right. And
2: <laughs>
1: they they moved me up to the entry-level job that the young man, whom I referred to earlier, already had. It's called editorial assistant. It's a common entry-level job in publishing. And you basically are a secretary to the editors.
2: Mm-hmm. So no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
1: you you help them stay organized and sometimes you also this was very interesting sometimes you also are in, in communication with authors you know they're calling you from a pay phone back in those days there were pay phones <laughs> calling you from a pay phone in Vermont saying where's my check I wrote an article for your magazine and I haven't been paid and my rent is due and my children are hungry and my cows are mooing and you know <laughs> interestingly one of those authors who would call up sometimes and beg to be paid was Annie Prue who has since won a um, um, a Pulitzer Prize for the Shipping News, and wrote wow. uh, uh, Broke That Mountain, which was turned into an incredible movie. Back in the day, she was at the payphone in Vermont asking for her check from me, the editorial assistant.
0: So she's no longer calling asking for her check nowadays, no, I would I'm assume. sure
1: she's not. <laughs> and, you know, what's, what was really interesting about all that was that I learned I was on that side of the desk. I had a paycheck, and the authors didn't. And I learned uh, how authors get assignments
2: mm, and then mm-hmm. how they
1: browbeat the the uh, editors into paying them once they've completed the assignment, and also the process of editing something. So uh, it was all a learning curve, and there's a reason why you start out at the entry-level job and move up, because then you understand how it all works.
0: Right, so you went to that assistant editor position to where after that? Did you become an editor?
1: Well, I moved, yes, I moved up to being an editor over a period of years, you know, as editors over me left, and they, you know, promoted with, from within. And, you know, uh, I'm sure my bosses saw that I understood the company and understood its mission and it was logical to promote from within. And uh, then sometimes, as happens at magazines or newsletters, and now, you know, the online counterparts of these publications, they're staff-written because we knew what we wanted, but we couldn't find or didn't think we could find an author who could fill that need, so it was written in-house. And I remember once we had some very beautiful photographs with no text to go with it, and I said, I'll write it.
0: (laughs) You took another opportunity. Yeah, right. and
1: my and my boss said, "Okay, you write it." And I said, "But I need to be paid." And I know what they get paid. <laughs> and he said, "Okay, but you can't write it on company time." Then
0: wow, that worked out really well. You had a that freelance worked out job. Really
1: well, <laughs> yeah, and uh, so that that helped me move into freelancing over time. You know, time passed. You know, I was there twelve years. Uh, I got married. I had a child. After I had a child, I didn't want to work nine to five. Hmm. I wanted to be home with my baby, and so my former employer sometimes gave me a little bit of freelance work, but as the child grew a little bit, I wanted to get back in the workforce and uh, took other jobs until ultimately I became pregnant with my second child, and two children was too much to work full-time, and I went into full-time freelancing. Uh, but the way the way you do that is you have to be social if you want to have lots of of client. You can't sit quietly in your room and wait for the world to come to you. You've got to go out and meet people and leverage and network.
0: So how do you do that as an early freelancer? Obviously you had a lot of editorial connections which probably helped out quite a bit.
1: It did. Uh, but I think my uh, I think back to my very first book contract. I had a lot of information. I was at that point my first book contract came slightly Shortly after I had quit my job and was about to give birth to my second child, I had been working at Jackson and Perkins, which is a mail order nursery that specializes in really premium plants, especially roses. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you've ever heard of them. I have not. And they were visited by somebody who wanted to put out books about roses with the Jackson Perkins imprint on them. And did the company know anybody who was a good writer? Wow. And they said, well, Terry just left the company. You know, she's gone off to have a baby, but you could ask her. And the guy called me from the airport after visiting Jackson and Perkins all day and talks and trying to persuade them to go into the book publishing business and offer me the job of writing the book about roses, and that was my first book contract.
0: Wow. Okay. So you did that, and then did it just continue to build... After that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because once you get published once, then you, can, then you have kind of a, a resume. You know, you have a portfolio. And uh, one thing I've also discovered about the writing business is, I hate to say it, but you don't have to be a really good writer. I think I am a pretty good writer and I've gotten better over time. But you do have to deliver on time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You have to be dependable. I've had clients use me over and over again just because they don't have to babysit me, they don't have to edit me heavily, they don't have to remind me of the deadline. You know, they can just wind me up and let me go. You have to be responsible. So this actually harkens back to my very first job which was babysitting, mm-hmm. where Somebody called me and said, will you come over on Saturday night at 6 o'clock and babysit till 10 o'clock? And, you know, that's not an invitation to show up at 7 o'clock or not show up at all.
0: Right. Right. You were there. You said yes. And I was and you, there. Right. right.
1: Yeah. So uh, you're just not going to get hired again and again as a freelancer if you're not dependable. I don't care what you're doing.
0: Now, if you could, walk us through your typical week, and if you could kind of touch on the networking piece of it a little bit.
1: Okay. Well, now that uh, many decades, decades have gone by and I've done over 35 books – And I've done a lot of magazine writing and, uh, you know, now magazines are kind of giving way to online content, you know, online journalism. Uh, I think that uh, it's got to be a little of this, a little of that when I don't have a book contract.
2: Mm -hmm. A book contract
1: is something that can keep you busy and bring in income for up to a year sometimes more than a year.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and in the absence of a book contract, then I try to put together a variety of small projects. And it's just going back to the context that you've had before. Sometimes someone you know has you write something and you deliver it and they pay you and you never hear from them again, but you get in touch with them two or three years later and uh, you send them a copy of what you did before and remind them how wonderful you are and <laughs> they call you. Uh, so it's just yeah, you know, being on the other side of it, being in, an assistant editor at the magazine back in Boston, back before I was married and had children, taught me a lot about that, what I, that piece I was saying about how the freelancer should be dependable. But it also taught me a lot about keeping in touch.
2: Mm-hmm. If you just
1: If you just happen to get in touch with an editor at the right time, if you'd be in the right place at the right time, they're going to grab you because it's easy. You know, they can't spend the day looking for the right freelancer.
2: If you're just right. happy
1: to be there, that 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 works many times. You know, I plan out my schedule, and if I see coming up in February that things are a little lean, then I go and send emails around or make calls. Um, these days, I found that a lot of a lot of people don't respond well to emails, and I think it's because email inboxes are too full.
0: hmm So how do you get so, around that?
1: You go. You get retro. You send a <laughs> piece of mail.
0: Whoa! <laughs> P. I was gonna say. I, I was gonna say, yeah, I was gonna say retro. You pick up the phone, but you went really retro with a stamp and an envelope. Wow.
1: Well, and it, you know, if it's if it's attractive and neat, and of course, in the writing business, you don't want to have errors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, that's interesting. I would not have thought that. Well, that's great to know. Well, now you mentioned you work from home when we were talking a little bit earlier. So how do you form your schedule? Like do you work at 5 a.m. till 8 a.m., take a break? How does your typical schedule work where you find yourself to be productive at home?
1: I don't do that unless I have a book contract. Okay. Okay. When you have a big project, then you have to plan and schedule. And people have asked me, how do you write a book? I see you wrote a book that was 325 pages. I could never write that much. And I say, remember when you were in school your, te- your English teacher had you write a report and insisted on an outline.
2: Mm-hmm. But you
1: make an outline, and if the book has 12 chapters, then you give yourself 12 weeks, and it's a chapter a week. You take it in bite-sized pieces, and you just you you know you break it down into digest. Bite sized, digestible pieces, and you plan yourself and you stay on schedule.
0: Wow. And would you try to put like three to five hours a day strictly writing or even more?
1: Uh, that's very hard to do. Writing is very creative work and mm-hmm. very tiring. And so uh, my usual method is to write for a few hours in the morning and then take a break and then come back later and do a few more. And when you're, re- when you're really rolling, and anybody who's creative will understand this, when you're really rolling, sometimes you stay too long in your office on your chair at your computer you know you you skip a meal or you don't get up to (laughs) pee or walk the dog you know you just you're obsessed and you know there's a time and a place for that but it's not healthy to work that hard as a regular practice it's better to take frequent breaks and also uh... when you're really intensely writing researching and writing something the breaks are important because when you get up and get away from your writing your mind keeps working on it you know you might come up with some really good wording while you're out walking. Then rush home and turn on the computer and before you forget it. Or, you know, at times I scribbled it down on a scrap of paper. It's like I was afraid I was going to forget this brilliant idea I had while I was out of the house.
0: Do you have a notepad and pen at your bedside? So when you have a Absolutely. You dream? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yep. Well, that's yes. good to know.
1: You, you, don't, you, don't want to, you don't want to lose little scraps of ideas when they come. And I also continue to keep a diary as an adult because, as I say, uh, just constantly free-form writing teaches you to express yourself and keeps your Brain muscles limber, so to speak.
0: Right. Yeah. As a reminder, you can check out all previous episodes at learnfromothers.org. If you are if you are an educator or a student, you can search for podcasts by career cluster. And additional resources are under the resource tab. So Terry, we just learned what you wanted to be when you grew up, which was a writer, and what you do today, which is a writer, which is rare and awesome. So if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently?
1: I would have uh, tried to get published when I was younger i didn't have the confidence i thought i'm too young no one's going to take me seriously and actually young voices and young perspectives are uh are perfectly valid. You don't have to be a total grown up to have something important to say. And actually, I think also uh, various outlets are looking for young writers, especially online journalists. So I, I wish I had tried to get published younger.
0: You know, and that's a great point, because nowadays I see some very young authors and it just shocks me. But then I think about it, I'm like, well, you know, they have the voice of their generation and that's who's going to buy their book, you know, as a whatever, a 30, 40 year old, you want to be able to capture that. So that's really interesting advice.
1: Yeah, that 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 that's my only regret, that I wasn't I wasn't brave enough or I didn't think that my voice was important or I didn't think that I had something to say. Actually, we all have opinions. We all have thoughts. We all have beliefs. Here again, I return to the practice of keeping a journal or a diary uh, that helps you find your voice. It gives you confidence that you do have something to say, maybe a lot to say. And if you don't want to do it in a notebook with a pen, which I realize is kind of retro, you can certainly just, you know, blog or have a, a folder on your desktop, which you is all yours, and where you write your thoughts. Or I have a website now, and I put things in there that I write, whether they've been published or not.
0: Yeah, and actually, you just spoke on it quite a bit there. But if someone in our audience wants to do what you do, which I know there's a lot of folks, what advice would you give them? So obviously, the journaling's part of it. The you know writing down your thoughts. What other advice would you give them? Would is there you know go to college? Make sure you have this major. major. Uh, how would you suggest they approach do a publisher? I recommend going
1: to college. I really do, uh, for a lot of reasons. I know people are worried about going to college because they think they're going to be in debt for the rest of their life. And, they you know, that's a legitimate concern. But if we could just set that aside for a second and talk about uh, why it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to college uh, is a way to explore your intellect and to explore the world and to be exposed to new people and new ideas, and it ups your game from the challenges that you've met in high school, and uh, you really grow a lot in college, and you really learn how to use your mind, and you should take challenging and strange courses and most colleges also require that you take things outside of what you think is your major and I I remember finding that irritating but it was really interesting and it it helped me grow so I I think go off to get a bachelor's degree Uh, that that's very worthwhile. I was worried when I was in college, and I was around people who were worried when they were in college that their degree be practical. So, Mm. for example, I had a friend who really did want to be an English major, but she was afraid that she wouldn't get a job when she graduated, so she majored in business economics. And when she got out in the world, it was very hard to find a job. And when she finally did, the business where she was working at said, you know all that stuff you learned in college? Forget it. We do it this way.
0: <laughs> right. It wasn't right. real world right. applicable. Right.
1: Right. So I think uh, I think it's very worthwhile to go to college and grow your mind. Uh, if you can't afford to go to college or you don't want to go to college or for other reasons, college is not for you, uh, I would refer you to your local bookstore or public library. One of my favorite films is Goodwill Hunting. And you may mm. recall that the Matt Damon character didn't go to college. And he mocked the college kid by saying, your, your dad is paying big money to send you to Harvard, and I'm getting the same information with this public library card.
2: <laughs>
0: right, right. Yes, that is a great movie, by the way. Yes.
1: Yeah. So I think uh, – it's it's important to be an educated person. It's exciting to become an educated person. I think you should devote yourself to being an educated person. It makes you a better person. It makes you a better citizen. And if you want to be a writer, it makes you a better writer.
0: So let's say someone graduates from college. They have a portfolio of their writing. What would you recommend they do to get their foot in the door, for like a better wording?
1: Well, it, see, a lot of people, and I was that person too, think, well... I'm not going to make a living selling an article here and there, so what should I do? I should um, get a job in the publishing business. And I just recounted my own career path and how the publishing business did help me understand how to be a freelancer. Uh, but you don't have to do that. And some people don't like editing other people's writing. They want to do their own writing. So you don't necessarily have to go get a job in publishing. I, and I don't think also a bachelor's degree is the is the key to, I don't think it's a goal for uh, people to hire you. They're just going to mm-hmm. see that you went to college and you completed what you started. If it's a liberal arts degree major, in whatever you like, w- major whatever excites you. It's not. No employer is going to look at a bachelor's degree and uh, refuse to hire an English major over a French major or a social studies major. You know, it, there's lots of entry-level jobs in the world where you just have a bachelor's degree that you finished and you did well and you became an educated person. Right. You know, if you're really goal-directed, go get a master's degree or go get go learn a trade. Uh, but I think the purpose of a bachelor's degree is to prove that you finished something and to become an educated person, or at least get started on being an educated person. I mean, right. it's not like it stops as soon as you leave college. If you have a portfolio of things, uh, what happens is in college you can work for the school paper or the school alternative paper, mm. you can you can blog, you can write for school clubs, or, uh, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of writing that you can do when you're in college to build your portfolio, and some of it won't pay, but it builds your portfolio. And when you get out, if you want to be a writer, you may end up taking work that doesn't pay either to build your portfolio. So uh, to keep to keep the pressure off your writing as a way to pay your bills... I I suggest you get a job that supports you while you continue to write. And there may come a day when you can move out of a boring job and into full full time writing.
0: Now would you ever recommend going the self published route?
1: I knew you were gonna ask that, Greg. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it seems to be what belong, people are doing. <laughs> right.
1: I actually belong to a writer's group. It's sort of a writer support group I think. There's about a half dozen of us we meet <laughs> once a month at one of our houses and we sit around and talk about what we're working on. And there are two people in that group who are self published and then there are two of us who are published by publishers. And so we had a spirited discussion about this and i what I learned about self publishing uh did not entice me mm-hmm. uh now a self published book means you can have it exactly how you want it. It's your book. No editor is going to cut out your favorite chapter or rearrange it. You have complete creative control when you self-publish. I would say also if you're going to self-publish, as one of the people in this group has done, you might want to hire a freelance proofreader so that you don't embarrass yourself by publishing something that's got grammatical or spelling errors in it Mm -hmm. and make it look as professional as possible. But the problem that these two people have encountered is distribution. They can't find a way to sell their books. Because big bookstores like Barnes & Noble will not carry self-published books. You cannot get them in their door. And small independent bookstores tend not to really want to take self-published books and put them out either. So how do these two people in my writer's group sell their self-published books? They have a website and they sell it off of that. It's not going like gangbusters because it's hard to get discovered. And they go to conventions where they have a, a table or a booth and they sell their books there. And that brings in a little bit of income and exposure. But I listened to this and thought, thank God I have a publisher now. The publisher, you know, paid me to write the book. And the publisher, more important to me, distributes it. Got it right. on Amazon, got it in bookstores. So it's my personal preference to have a publisher.
0: Let's say a freelance writer who would like to publish a book through a publisher, do you recommend a literary agent?
1: I don't have a literary agent, but I'm in a specialized niche. I'm in the nature, write, nature writing, nonfiction. And I felt that uh, I could get book contracts without an agent, and an agent will take a cut, right? so it didn't seem worth it to me. However, I've talked to people of agents. That's another topic we have at our writers' group. What about an agent? How do I get an agent? I think agents are useful if you're a fiction writer, mm-hmm. and uh, this is what I've learned from my colleagues, so you t- might want to interview someone who's a fiction writer another time, Greg, to get more okay. on this. Fiction writers do tend to have to have an agent, and the agent will fi- match them with a publisher, and the agent will, like a real estate agent, trying to sell your house, try to get top dollar so that the, they Make more, uh, and agents are looking for the new best new thing. And agents are uh, tweeting and Instagramming, so you have to be social media savvy if you want to go out and shop for and do a matchmaking situation with the agent that's right for your book. Right, and, and uh, the way you find a publisher is you look, whatever it is you're writing about. Okay, so I was doing nature writing. Who publishes these books? Go to a bookstore or or dig around on Amazon, but it's much easier in a bookstore because you can physically take it off the shelf and look at it and look and see who's publishing it and then approach that publisher. If you like how they do books, if you like the look of it, if you like, you know, the uh, hardcover paperback, how it's laid out, is the cover attractive, all that kind of stuff. Uh, It can be very targeted. If you want to write nonfiction and get, I mean, if you want to write fiction and get published, and you need to find an agent who believes in your idea, and you write a query letter, and they help you shop it, and hopefully you score.
0: Right. It is very complex. That's one thing, that's for sure. It
1: so. is. So, what, uh, you know, uh, a lot of us writers are, are home buddies and shy and retiring and in our own little world and our own little heads, and there's nothing wrong with that. But to be successful and to be read, if those things are of interest to you. You have to get out You have to be friendly. You have to network. You have to physically network or network by social media.
0: Well, are there any projects you're working on that you would like to share? I know you've got a lot of stuff going on.
1: Well, interestingly, I I hate to to be the bearer of bad news, but I feel like the book publishing world is very conservative and contracting. I don't mean Mm. contracting in the sense of handing out book contracts, unfortunately. I mean in the sense of uh, book publishers are very conservative, and they're not handing out book contracts as easily as they were several years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, there are various economic reasons for that and maybe social reasons. Maybe it's people's attention spans. I'm not sure. There's probably a lot of factors, Uh, but, I haven't had to give up being an author because I've found that uh, people want to hear me. So uh, based on my books, especially the award-winning one, but also some of the others, uh, groups invite me to come and speak, and then I can bring copies of my books and sign and sell them after the talk. And I have spoken to up to a thousand people in a very large room, and I've spoken to small clubs in library rooms. And these are gigs, and uh, I have to wear nice clothes and be well-spoken and be professional, (laughs) and I get paid, and it's uh, turned into an adjunct to being an author, and it really all uh, circles back to marketing yourself.
0: Right. And how do you market yourself?
1: Uh, I have a website, I have a business card, and I network.
0: I will have to say your, your website is very informative, and you make it very easy for someone who wants to contact you, not only to contact you, but to also get any tools or resources that relate to you, you make it very easy.
1: No, thank you. I think anybody who's an author or an aspiring author should get themselves a website and you can make it yourself or you can, if you have a friend who's good at that, maybe you can barter with them but very important to have a website. Uh, what my website doesn't have right now, but it's in the state of redesign and it will have, is a blog so that you can be interactive with the people who come to your website. They can make comments on the things you're writing.
0: Right, and I notice you do have a couple speaking events coming up. In what area or what topics will you be discussing?
1: Okay, so you asked what I was working on, and I didn't completely answer that. Um, That's okay. I, <laughs> I have about half a dozen gigs coming up this year, and I'll probably have half a dozen more if, as I continue to network try to get a few more Uh, But I'm going to Charlottesville, Virginia. I'm in central New York, so that's a big journey. Um, In about two weeks to speak on my book, Seeing Seeds, a convention of landscape architects. And uh, I think they're expecting about 500 people. And I use a PowerPoint presentation and use images from the book. The photographer that I worked with lets me use the images. And I narrate the PowerPoint, and uh, people feel like they've been entertained and educated by the end of my hour-long presentation. So are these pictures,
0: I'm sorry, are these pictures from the book and you kind of give more detail on them to the live audience? Oh, that's really cool. That's a great idea.
1: Yes, and I tell stories, and the talk is not just like the book. Right, but, right. But it does, sure quote-unquote, build my brand and bring, my, and bring me to the attention of people who might want the book.
0: Now, that's great. And you have, like, what did you say, six different events coming up?
1: Yes. Uh, in, in an average year, I may have uh, anywhere from 10 to 20 gigs. I've been all over the country giving talks based on my books. So if you have a book and, uh, it, and you are willing to do that, there are lots of different venues where people people like to go in here. I mean, have you ever gone in here and heard an author speak and bought their book afterwards?
0: Yeah. Well, one perk to some jobs is having a company car. So I mentioned to you before, I'm a car guy. And so, what could you tell us? What was your first car?
1: My first car was a Volkswagen Bug, a 1966 Volkswagen Bug. <laughs> That's I was a, a fantastic in high school car. And I was going off to college, and my parents gave me their old Bug. And I was thrilled. It was a very uncool car, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was great to have wheels.
0: <laughs> oh, right. Absolutely. Well, now, do you have a dream car?
1: Well, the car I'm driving now I'm very happy with. This is, you know, many years and miles later, I just would not get the modern bugs. They're not as cute. Uh, I drive a Mazda 3, which is a sort of hatchback sedan kind of thing uh, with with the soul of a sports car. It handles it beautifully.
0: That's a really fantastic car, you know, and it's a lot faster than your VW Bug was for sure. (laughs) It's a lot
1: faster. It also has a feature on the dashboard where you can kind of monitor how much gas you're using while you're driving. So you set yourself a challenge to, you know, drive efficiently without going too fast or too slow.
0: Right, it's like a little game you can play. It's How efficient game. can I can drive? Can I get
1: over forty miles per gallon on this road road trip? Right, let's try. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, if I had all the money in the world and I could buy you a cool company car based on your job, I I actually did a lot of research on this, and I actually now that you meant you made a couple of comments there where it's a swing and a miss on my part. So my thought was, you love plants and nature, so I thought, well, let me start there, and that took me down the path of biodiesels. Like, what car can you? drive using plants basically is what it comes down to and so i did some research and the coolest car i picked out believe it or not 2017 vw bug convertible (laughs) diesel (laughs) so that was (laughs) that was the car
1: i'll take delivery of that oh good convenient for you (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah
0: they're not as cute as the original but i was like wow it gets like 40 miles per gallon and it's diesel and it's a six-speed and it's a convertible so that's the car i would have picked for you
1: Yeah, well, and by the way, six speed is great. A lot of kids these days uh, don't know how to drive stick shift, but I'll tell you what, It gives you a lot more control over the car, and it's a lot more fun.
0: And it gets four miles per gallon more, which is great over the automatic. So that's just amazing.
1: (laughs) Is that across the board with all cars? I didn't know that.
0: In general. This was specific to the VW Bug. So
1: I think it's just a lot more fun to drive a stick shift.
0: It absolutely is. And they call it nowadays uh, anti-theft because the young thieves don't know how to drive stick. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for taking us on your career journey. What's the best way our listeners can learn more about you and your events that are coming up?
1: Go to my website, which is com. T-E-R-I, Terry with one R, Chase, C-H-A-C-E, Terry with two chases, I mean two Cs, uh, Writer.com. So it's T-E-R-I-C-H-A-C-E.com. And uh, there are samples of my writing. There's my schedule. And... Uh, my resume and pictures and reviews of my books and all that sort of thing and starting out writers should still make themselves a website and just populate it with whatever they want
0: that's awesome well thank you so much for taking us on your journey today terry thank you for
1: having me greg
0: thank you for listening to learn from others where we help others succeed by sharing success where will our next adventure take us subscribe to find out if you know of someone who has a cool career story or occupation contact greg through instagram at Greg Stanley LFO. That's G R E G S T A N L E Y L F O. And we will see you soon as we learn from others together.